Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are listening to uh, this right now. Welcome back. Um, I've really, 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 really missed making this Reset Rebel podcast. And I must admit, I never actually even thought maybe I would get to say those words out loud again or anytime soon. And I wanted to kick this podcast off today with just a little poem about Santalalia, which is where we are right now, up at the Pug de Mesa. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about in a minute. But first off, I am going to read this poem by Villan Gomez about this village or town, city. Some people might describe it as one of the biggest on the island and a place that feels very special right now um, because it is my home. What peace, one sole step towards this sky that scrapes the mountains crystalline and a country silence already rises to caress the church in a fragile flight. Dispersed voices, chimes that silence streams that flow among the rocks to reach us with just a nearby tinkling and wings, an urgent desire for space. From here, what you wish for, the beauty is offered to you, extensive and long, a dense forest that slips down the mountainside in green and okra, the countryside patterned, the orchard ends there and the sea begins, white on bloom, foam, the winged boat. And I have to say, that kind of really never resonated, um, that poem, so much until I reread it a few times while I was away from the island and just landing back here just a few short weeks ago felt like a pretty momentous occasion and one of the most special re-landings I think I've ever had with Ibiza and there's been quite a few um, in the past especially in my 20s when I used to arrive here for my annual two or three week holiday ready to get into some serious amounts of mischief and I've never felt so different in all my life coming back on this particular journey after four months off the island and not really knowing when I would ever make it back um, after six cancelled flights and a slight diversion of uh, my plans going over to India to teach on a yoga retreat and ending up doing pretty much the exact opposite. Um, none of that actually happened. Nothing went to plan. But then you have to ask yourself, when do, you, when do things go to plan? What is a plan other than just expectation and desire mixed together in a way that formulates I guess an energetic standpoint of a place that you feel like you should be heading towards something that you believe will happen hope to happen and I think really after everything I've just been through and I'm sure I'm not alone when I say things have not turned out as planned the last four months it just teaches you a lot of things and number one is just to drop that whole story that whole narrative Um, because that's kind of all it is really I think you just tell yourself how it should be and if anything this whole episode of the last four months um, has just shown me that you just we have no control over anything you know we are small we are um, not powerless but we are not the masters of our own destinies uh, it certainly doesn't feel like that at the moment here in Spain um, and I I'm in very you know two minds about what just happened to me being stranded over in Goa um, for a good chunk of lockdown and then the second half getting back to England being repatriated and then spending the final two months over in Belgium after sneaking across the Dutch border. It has been quite a drama, um, one that I willingly and knowingly stepped into to varying degrees along the way. 
Um, but I wasn't keen to get back to Ibiza as much as I suspected I might have been when I heard what the parameters of the lockdown here are and were. Uh, drones flying overhead, checking that no one is leaving their own home for anything other than a trip to buy some groceries is not a humane existence I could have coped with. I need nature uh, just as much as the next man, I'm sure, but possibly more than most. And the idea that I was not going to be able to get out the front door and go for a stroll or, I mean, just movement is just everything for me and in such circumstances where everything is very 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 unsure very 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 unstable um, no one knows what's going on with anything we just need to cling on to something and my biggest reset button um, is movement and there's walking it's the number one reason I live in Ibiza and the idea that I couldn't have left my apartment I don't have a massive great big mansion on the side of a mountain in Ibiza I have a a beautiful apartment with an incredible view of the sea and the hills and the whole of this wonderful village I'm lucky to call home Santillalia but I mean the concept of not being able to step outside my front door just felt very 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 alien and like something I didn't want to be part of so as soon as I found out that was the case and I left India and got repatriated to England, I felt like I was not in the biggest of hurries to get back from England to here. But I don't think I really realised like how intense it was to be away from Ibiza for four whole months, my home, when I'd actually just reached a point just before I left where I was like, I don't think I've ever been so happy here, so settled found my dream dream home to move into and I really felt a bit resentful to leave the island and I apparently said to some friends that I really yeah wasn't keen to make this trip and I felt like something was up and I guess you know I've also gone back to um, the job I used to do 10 years ago more recently of news reading and I'd obviously been reading a lot about you know COVID and what it was and how it had obviously infiltrated China and become a thing over there but I guess you know we often just sort of see things coming from a distance and we don't really believe or expect things to um, pierce our worlds and this has just been the most ground shaking wall cracking psyche breaking scenario that no one could ever have ever have dreamed would unfold and I think it's just killed a lot of people not literally as we know that it has but like broken the spirit and <sighs> taken away a lot of things from a lot of people not just their freedom and their ability and capacity to deal with just everyday doings but it's taken away their livelihoods people have lost loved ones their community is just not living and breathing and operating and functioning and flowing and growing like it was before all of this began. And, you know, I'm all for a bit of change. Um, I think we are adaptogens in this lifetime, in this planet, in this existence that we're all very, very, very lucky to experience together. And I know that, you know, big, big things can come and go and enter our world and develop us and transform us into new beings with new skills to cope but I think that this has been yeah the most hectic thing that has happened to me in my life in many many ways and I'm not altogether sure that it was the most positive experience and of course you know there's a lot of positives to be taken from it the slowing down the time to process a lot of feelings and thoughts relationships work and our relationship to ourselves I think it's been a good time to go inward and even if you didn't really fancy it in the run-up and you've maybe always avoided it well it was kind of 
inescapable it wasn't something that we were like oh yeah don't fancy that it's like yeah a lot of people isolated me included um one whole month of my life where i just didn't see anyone when i got repatriated and i went to live in brighton well, that's not totally true i did see a few friends but from a distance and doorstep parties and you know i love the human capacity and facility and ability to reinvent ways to interact and form community to form ways to get together and you know obviously zoom have done rather well out of it the technology company that created that platform i think they're multi 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 millionaires billionaires by now um i wasn't a big fan of the zoom party i wasn't a big fan of the technological new ways that we were forced to interact um people getting you know smashed on zoom together on a friday night drinking wine and I don't know that just doing yoga on zoom not so much for me I just need humans um close and I think that's one of the most magical things that came out of this for me that feeling of isolation that necessity to learn to be happy by myself find things that I love to do that make me feel happy and content and well in my own company purely and that's definitely the biggest thing i've i've definitely um taken from all of this and i think that's a gift you know i think a lot of us feel lonely and a bit sad when we're left on our own for too long and i'd had a distinct period of that not that long ago in the distant past and i think the problem is when you're alone but you smother yourself in others to try to get happy again you try to take that feeling of company as a as a comfort blanket and i it's not you know you need to be happy internally and alone and able i think to really exist in the best possible format on this planet and i think you know a lot of people were forced to deal with all of the stuff that maybe they haven't been dealing with me included so i don't know how it was for you i would absolutely love to hear a little bit more about your experience if you ever felt the calling to share it with me on just the good news please at gmail.com um laughably during covid19 i think one of the biggest thing that took the wind out of my sails was the fact that as I said, I'd gone back to this news reading role that I'd been doing sort of, you know, in my 20s and 30s. And I was going over to India for a, a little break and, and actually to teach yoga and have some much needed time out from that job. And actually the opposite happened. It's funny because the first day I got there, it was the, um, the festival they all throw coloured paint at each other. Um, and in India this is and I had to go and get some bits and pieces from the shop and I'd kind of forgotten that it was Holly that's the name of the festival was going on and I jumped on a a bike a motorbike that I borrowed um, from some friends up the road and off I went to try and see if I could find um, a sim card to put into my phone to be able to basically send my audio from my little beach house from Mandrem in the magic sands of the north of Goa back to London to the news organisation that I work for and who shall remain nameless on this podcast um, but I was I had a few days work when I first got there that I had to do and obviously the place I was staying had no wi-fi and the beach shacks nearby didn't really have great wi-fi and I was like okay all good I'll just go and see if I can tackle this myself jumped on my bike and I felt like Steve McQueen out of The Great Escape because basically I got on that bike and I um it was a total adventure. Uh, there was kids on every street corner with like sacks of brightly coloured dust and powder, which they were throwing as paint bombs um, on anyone passing by. And they kind of raised a rope on me at one point. It was like a, a checkpoint of little kids and villagers and they just raised the rope and I got absolutely bombarded. And everything I was wearing was destroyed. And um yeah, I was, thought I was looking pretty fly before I left the building and then uh, came home looking like something out of, uh, I don't know really, Sesame Street. <laughs> and yeah, it was funny. It was funny and brilliant and a great way to arrive in India. And a very festive, welcoming, wonderful, bright-coloured, 
reminder of all the smells and senses and chaos and carnage and craziness that India encapsulates for me and all the times that I visited. And never did I believe in a million years that it could end up becoming the experience that it did, um, which was obviously not anything that I had planned in my head. And as magical and as brilliant and as amazing as that beginning period of three or four or five days was when I first got there, it was not a sign of things to come. And what came after that is very hard to describe. So, yeah, I'm just moving around the other side of the church now at the Puig de Mesa, which is where I've come to record this homecoming episode of the Reset Rebel podcast. Um, But yeah, as I was saying, it just feels like those magical, blissful, beautiful first four, five, six days of arriving in India were, you know, just a great reminder of everything I love about being there. It just always brings me so much joy and so much grounding. Uh, There's a lot of times I don't feel that grounded in Ibiza. Everybody else has very, very different opinions on that one. But for me, I can sometimes find this island sort of puts me like a rag doll and it's washing machine cycle. We're moving towards the crickets and cicadas now. You can probably hear them in the background. Um, And uh, yeah, it shakes, shakes me about a bit. I was feeling very, 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 very good before I left. But there is something magical about the energy of India and Goa in particular, that just completely soothes my soul. And when I arrived there, I was just shown exactly what it was, maybe, that I'd been missing, um, thinking that I wasn't going to go there that winter and I was going to stay here in Ibiza. Off I went, and shortly after arriving, things obviously took a, a strange turn of events, and I was informed pretty much within six days of being there that none of our clients on the yoga retreat that we had planned and booked to um, create for our clients were going to be able to get into the country so that was the kind of first real sign of like oh things aren't uh, things aren't going so well here Um, it was very clear from the Indian government ministers that the borders were closing people were not going to be entering the country again anytime soon and you think well if they can't come in does that mean I can't get out? And that was the question that I began to ask myself. Is, is this a sign? Is this, you know, what, what, is, what is this actually meaning? Um, but at that point, you know, flights were still all good. And I jumped in a taxi and I went down to the south of Goa, met up with my business partner who I was running the retreat with, um, my co-retreat partner, Taran. And shortly after that is when it became very, 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 very clear that we were not going um, to be hosting anything, um, which was a blow, a massive blow, not just for our amazing, kind, beautiful clients that had all booked to come and join us, but um, something that we were really looking forward to creating together. And um, yeah just something that we'd really 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 planned in great detail but as I said at the beginning of this podcast I think yeah starting to see that plans just are just that you know ideas in your head of how it should be and to cut a long story short I you know we got this sign of the initial lockdown day for two billion people as a trial from Narendra Modi, the Indian president, the prime minister there, that we were going to do a trial day on this on this one Sunday from 7am till 9pm and see how it went. And which as soon as that ended, it was like, oh, we're going to do another three days. And at this point, like no one had really made any plans for, for lockdown in terms of food or drinks or, you know, accommodation or ideas where to spend it, what to do. And... I think that that was the, the issue, you know. No one stockpiled anything because no one thought it was going to be for more than just a day. And so we were all grossly, grossly unprepared and 
that's I think when you know the issues or the problems began was that the shops began to close there was no going to the shops without the police turning up and shutting them down with big bamboo canes people were getting smacked around a little bit I was getting a little bit nervous food supply was basically gone and I was a little bit panic stricken and everybody was everyone was on highly emotional kind of uh, high alert and it was all just a little bit unknown and you know I'd never actually got um, beaten by one of these uh, what they think they were calling it a bamboo massage over there and I was like oh it's all so excessive it's not even you know people obey the rules then it's fine but you know we all had a little moment I think where we all disobeyed the rules a little bit and I tried not to do it ever in front of any Indian locals and disrespect anybody but you know I would sneak out at sunrise before anybody was awake Um, no one seems to get up very early over there a bit like uh, Ibiza and yeah I would go down all the village like back roads and streets and paths where I knew that I wasn't going to see any other human beings and I knew that I wasn't going to get into trouble and I knew I wasn't going to receive or incur any kind of violence um, which I had heard quite a lot of stories about people yeah getting getting smacked around a little bit and that was just horrible and it wasn't actually until the very 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 last night before I flew back on my repatriation flight to London that I witnessed the very first example firsthand of that and I must admit it was the most terrifying thing um, sitting in a restaurant where I was supposed to be getting a takeaway I thought I'd have my last plate of prawns before I leave India and I was sitting there with a glass of white wine because the chef in the restaurant was like sit and wait for the prawns no probs and then in stormed about 18, 19 policemen with great big bamboo canes and started, you know, smashing on the doors, smashing the tables, running into the kitchen, getting all the staff out of the kitchen because there were a couple of people sitting there waiting with a drink for their food, which isn't allowed. But if the owner of the restaurant invites you to come in and sit and do exactly that... um, and you say yes then of course you have to take responsibility for your own actions and I think in that moment when I saw people getting dragged out the door and I saw the absolute uh, aggression in the eyes of the police people for the people that they could um, find doing something that obviously clearly isn't legal sitting there waiting Uh, And knowing full well we weren't supposed to be sitting there having a drink waiting for our food. But it was off the road and out of eye line of the road. And you think, oh, well, no one's going to see me. I'm not going to get caught. And of course, night before your flight, you just think, oh, my God, he's going to, they're going to take us away and lock us up. And I'm going to miss my plane. It was like seven o'clock the next morning. This is probably eight or nine p.m. in the evening. And that actually was probably the only really awful part of Indian lockdown for me uh, that night put the fear of God into me and I felt really 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 scared Um, I was shaking as I left and went back to the place I was staying and obviously didn't get my dinner (laughs) no prawns for me Um, but I would say apart from that one experience on the whole things were beautiful I met some amazing people I met some other yoga teachers who were also teaching at the place I was staying we were taking in turns in the morning to teach the other people that were living and staying um, at the accommodation and they were just the most lovely 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 people and they were just so grateful that we were teaching them yoga that they would you know come along I don't know if you're sunbathing on the roof with a bottle of wine or bring you some food or coffee that was a great little you know it's kind of like a prison environment isn't it? you're kind of trading uh, luxury items that you've kind of managed to sneak out of the shop um, when the police aren't there and if the shop was open then you basically stock up and give that to other people the following day who didn't have anything when I ran out of my lavazza it was quite sad actually because it was when the Italians were really going through the biggest peak there's obviously a hell of a lot of people dying there and it was breaking my heart actually that's when I bought the Lavazza just purely because I love that coffee but then when that started to happen every morning as I sipped my Lavazza I couldn't help but really 
yeah, just really feel a bit more connected to Italy. And of course, through my job, reading about that stuff that was going on over there, the death toll rising and talking about that every single day for days on end and sipping my coffee. It was all just a bit much, really. And I must admit, I think that also had a massive effect on me, news reading about death all day, um, every day that I was there for those 22 days of lockdown. I was working 70 eight percent of those days and I think that that was kind of the cherry on top of the slightly collapsed ghetto um, possibly more of a trifle really it just all sort of kind of melted into a mushy middle nothing was yeah nothing was stable there were no parameters of when it would all end or how I would get out of there and eventually of course I got this repatriation flight but not until every other European nation had been extracted from that particular area and there was like I think there was thousands and thousands and thousands of British people in that um, in that part of India and there was a lot of people that needed to be extricated and when I got my flight I think I was originally offered the first flight and I said no please take and I gave them the names of some other people that were there some older people and one particular lady he was actually, that's a long story, but calling me every day. She was getting beaten up and not fed and locked into this little house nearby. That was breaking my heart. There were so many things going on um, locally that I found very, 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 very deeply disturbing and upsetting. Um, which were all contributing to, I don't know, I guess sort of like um, attempts to drag drag me down um but I just I had to just turn to the only tools that I I know how and that was yoga um I've never spent so much time on my mat in all my days as I did in India I was like sometimes anything between two and six hours a day I was like jumping on for an hour here or an hour there in between news bulletins and a couple of hours in the morning a couple of hours in the evening a bit of meditation um and that's good, you know, it just shows you that you do have the tools on board for extreme crisis um, to dig yourself out of very turbulent mental times. And I think, you know, we've all had a taste of how hard it is to cope with our darkest demons and face our own pile of stuff that maybe, again, as I say, we, we tend to avoid, we tend to escape from, we tend to ignore with lots of wonderful tools and tricks of the trade and so I think you know for all of us in this world right now as I walk down this hill from the Pug de Mesa back in towards Santillaria town um, on the way here I kind of like got um, attacked by a family with super soakers who were off to the beach and the little kids were having a little bit of a water fight before they got in the car I <laughs> just like yeah it just I can't begin to tell you how being home the gratefulness levels of being back on Spanish soil. I felt like I was actually going to lay down on the floor and start kissing the tarmac when we landed. I was one of those people that actually applauded when we landed. <laughs> and without any, yeah, any sense of shame or uh, embarrassment. And, uh, you know, that normal feeling of landing back on the island is pretty special. Just the level of gratefulness, the level of thankfulness and the emotional roller coaster that then ensued from actually arriving back to an island that I always find envelops me in a slight sense of discomfort and um, cage rattling as I re-arrive. But particularly this time, um, I was just overwhelmed with gratitude. Um, better go steady here because I can feel the old throat starting to constrict and the old eyes misting over. I mean, I'm looking over Santillalia um, from this particular spot because it feels like home and I can see the entirety of this little mini town or city or village or whatever you want to call it um, from this particular vantage point which you know in one direction you've got the incredible rolling green hills which whenever you drive to Santillalia from any of the other towns and villages close by you know you just know that you're here it's that real beautiful blue and green which many people say should never be seen and I 150 million percent disagree with that and whenever I come back towards those hills I just feel happy feel grounded and I feel like I'm home 
So this felt like a really good spot. You know, you've got the sea views in the other direction and uh, views towards Siesta. And then you can see all across the farmlands and the campo beneath here as the sun sets in one direction and, of course, rises as you gaze out towards Escanar in the other. And um, it is a church and it does feel like a slightly religious um, spot. There's a beautiful graveyard. If I ever die, please, somebody tell whoever finds me to bury me here. Um, that's a morbid way to re-begin, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but if you see this, um, if you see this graveyard here, you'll understand. I think you probably have to be in the VIP club. There's some guy trimming the trees up here. You have to be probably a multi, multi, multi-millionaire or have lived here for you know centuries or your family to be able to get a spot on the old top, on the old top deck, the top rack of uh, coffins. I know that there's not one person on this planet that hasn't been deeply affected by all of this. And, you know, a lot of people not working, haven't got any money here in Ibiza. You know, people, a lot of people I know that work in the music industry here haven't got anything. You know, they're not working and there's no fallback for that. There's no safety net. Um, and that's just really scary. It's really scary. You know, every day is the same you know maybe in lockdown but even now if you're not working and this island feels very different it feels very peaceful and it feels very very sleepy and when I first got back about three weeks ago I just yeah I've never I've never felt that kind of softness and gentleness in July in all the eight years that I've been here eight summers and for an island like this one yeah I mean, people talk about it and say, you know, well, the island gets a chance to breathe in the winter, but the island is fully blossoming and blooming in a way I've never, ever witnessed um, right now without having had that kind of pre-summer run-up and over-use of the facilities and the environment and the ecology and the support networks and all the incredible holding that this island does for the various different energies and people that storm in you know, for their holidays and to let it all go and let it all hang out and party a little bit. And that's not happening. You know, this is the first year in I don't know how many years. I mean, it's got to be, if you think space was going for 20 years, you know, that's been closed for at least four or five years. It's got to be the first time in what, 40, 30 years that all of those clubs have been closed and there is no super clubs there is no party scene apart from all these like magical little Spanish bars and restaurants that are largely unaffected the places I'm seeing that are closed um, because of all of this are well, there are a few casualties, actually. That's not entirely true. Bar Torres, which is devastating on the San Juan Road, I noticed has got a for rent sign up. And having spoken to a dear friend about that, it's like, yeah, it's, it's so sad. It is so sad. Of course, there's going to be some casualties of this particular situation when something shuts for three or four months. You know, a lot of people don't have the money to keep paying the rent. They don't have the financials to continue going. It is quite a hand-to-mouth kind of island People limp towards the summer to start earning money again. They don't earn a lot of money in the winter, sometimes none at all. They rely on their savings from the summer and then off they go again, filling up the old piggy bank until the winter kicks in and then they just try not to spend too much and live a very cheap existence in the winter. That is the life of, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of people here. And particularly for expats, I would say, who do come here and they start, you know, I don't know, a boating company or a some kind of service in the in the tourism industry um so it's hard it's hard to see people suffering it's hard to see people struggling and I don't think you know particularly sort of Spanish people that come here to work in the summertime this is a massive blow it's a huge blow and it's not really over you know I'm walking around the streets here it's now obligatory to wear a face mask just to walk down the street as soon as you leave your front door you must wear a mask and 
I don't think I really realised, like, yeah, I think from all the travelling I've done and having to put masks on it on every one of those flights, I have felt immensely triggered by the mask situation. Um, and I just find myself unable to put it on my face for long periods. I can chuck it on to go in a shop or you know to walk into a bar or a restaurant and luckily once you sit down it's you know you don't have to wear it anymore but I I don't find it easy as I'm sure a lot of people don't it's not just me it's you know this is a universal thing we're not used to walking around with our face covered our nose covered our mouth covered and I think for someone who obviously likes to talk (laughs) it's very difficult to communicate with people not being able to see people smile is the weirdest thing in the world it is tragic and sad that one of our primary ways to indicate to other humans how we are feeling has been taken away. Um, and I also think it particularly in an island like this one where everybody is from different walks of life, different nationalities, different languages, a lot of reliability comes um, from being able to see someone's lips, you know, being able to see somebody's lips moving and having a little bit more clarity on what it is that they're saying to you when sometimes it's hard to understand now you've got a mask in the way and you can't see their lips it's yeah it's impossible to understand anybody particularly in shops um so that has been a massive struggle um i'm not loving that at all but the island is sparkling in a way that i don't think i've seen it sparkle as i said since i got here so I just kind of wanted to explain and give you a little catch-up episode, I guess, before I start going back to my normal interviews. I've got some great, 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 great people lined up. But I did just want to mention again about where it is that I'm sitting. Um, Because, as I said, it is a church. You have probably driven past it a thousand times like I have and never really even bothered or thought if you've come here on holiday or you live here, maybe this isn't a place you've actually physically come to investigate and the Puga de Mesa is like sort of 16th century Um, but it got attacked by pirates um, quite a few times and you've obviously seen the pirate towers scattered around the island which are beautiful and amazing and there's a real medieval kind of historical factor to this island which is very exciting um, particularly in May when they have the big old festival down in Dalt Villa but I feel like you know there's been a very real feeling of threat um back in the day being a resident on this island of you know that kind of cross traffic of boats and the transients of um the channels um and import export that go sort of past and around this neck of the woods so to hear that this particular spot was attacked by pirates um in the middle of the 16th century um and to hear that a new fortified church was built with stronger defenses um that have really stood the test of time and the fact that it's still here today and it just is a, a magical thing of beauty I've never ever been to any other part of the island and had a, a stronger connection I think somehow as I do to here Dalt Villa definitely inspires me um, in a similar way but this being on my doorstep um, and I haven't spent as much time here that I have in Dalt Villa so I guess it's still got that honeymoon newness for me having read about it but never actually been here doesn't really make a lot of um of sense but it's all you know stunning whitewashed walls under a sort of domed roof and it's got an attached watchtower that also dates back to the 16th century and it's thought to be one of the oldest on the Pitusas islands um and apparently during the latter part of the 17th century when pirate attacks became less of a threat the church was actually extended and again used as a religious building and a focal point during the festivals this island does love a festival Um, if you've ever been here and maybe gotten out of the general obvious um, tourist train of things to do and see and places to go and restaurants to eat in and beaches to visit you know there's just such an amazing um, smorgasbord and tapas of things to dip in and out of locally even just the font parties which are celebrations of the kind of water on the island there's lots of different fountains buried in the hills um with a lot of phoenician kind of inspiration in terms of the building work and they have these kind of parties um 
lo- you know, all the locals attend from the local village. I don't think they really like tourists to, to be there. But if you do know about them and you happen to pass by and just at least have a look, um, they're an intriguing part and an integral part of the local community network. So there's just some amazing, amazing things that, you know, sometimes you might overlook. And I did exactly that by not having ever really been up here until I think it was January or February I made my first visit completely and utterly felt head over heels. It is just one of the most beautiful spots on the whole island with just epic views in every single direction. Um, So I just wanted to reground and bring you here um, with me um, to this stunning, stunning church um, in Santillaria. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming back. It's been... um, quite therapeutic in lots of ways to get this out of my system about how I've been feeling and just an overwhelming desire to share again and to put this as a bookmark the beginning again and second series if you like I never imagined or envisaged making more than one series of uh, the reset rebel and I've always said that this will be an ongoing weekly podcast till further notice but um Obviously, reading bad news out loud for a living was one of the reasons that I started this actual podcast to try and reverse my radio karma. That's what I used to call it. And I think I all of a sudden felt like I'd plunged myself back into the deep, deep depths of how it was that I felt almost 10 years ago when I was working in London. Also, you know, reading the news and sharing bad news. And I felt a bit disgusted with myself on the regular basis during lockdown. But I felt like, well, what what else am I going to do with my time? Sure, I can do some yoga, I can meditate, I can learn something, I can make podcasts. But I also need to be able to pay my bills back in Ibiza for a flat that I wasn't actually living in. Um, Very expensive. and, um, And I feel like that was a source of deep, deep panic for me. Um not knowing how I was going to make ends meet and also being on the other side of the world and it was very expensive to get back so those are the reasons I kept doing it but I think when you're talking about such subjects all day every day day in day out and you're actually all alone and there's no one to kind of you know have a little glass of wine with at the end of the day and just like pour it all out apart from on zoom or on the phone which I kind of literally spent lockdown with the phone glued to my ear if it wasn't my podcast machine recording all these bad news stories it was yeah with my phone glued to my ear and I've also noticed a major aversion to my telephone not wanting to touch my phone actually not wanting to be on it on the phone to anyone and I'm also very bored of talking I've talked and talked and talked and talked and so that's another reason I haven't felt like making this wonderful podcast and talking to you and telling you what's been going on and maybe you know, I've bored you senseless for the last 45 minutes or however long I've even been talking because I'm not sure how long it has actually been. But if you've experienced the same kind of trauma from being alone, I mean, I think there's going to be, it's quite obvious, like major fallout. And I think there already is from the lockdown experience, particularly for singles and solos and people that live alone. My father, 83, all by himself. I call him sometimes. His voice is completely croaky and broken. I'm like, you okay, Dad? And he says, well, I haven't spoken to anybody for days. And I just think that is too much for me. That, you know, phrase when he said it pushed me over the edge completely. And I was like, that is absolutely devastating to hear that my father hasn't spoken to anyone for a couple of days because he doesn't live with anyone anymore. His partner sadly got taken with Alzheimer's. And it's just very 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 challenging for him and I think you know particularly right now if there is somebody also that you know is in your immediate circle that you can reach out to on a regular basis as I do but again making all those phone calls for me at the end of a day of talking I also realized took the wind completely out of my sails and I felt very resentful to speak to anybody or interact on the telephone for hours after a long day of talking I kind of just needed to unplug Um, and I did drink quite a lot of gin as well I have to be honest during lockdown and I know that I'm not alone I know that I'm not so I can say it without any yeah scratch of remorse or regret or shame I just 
there was a few days where I just really needed to cheer myself up and um, have a few drinks and de-stress. Um, I also, I am actually going to have to say, the most positive and brilliant thing that came out of lockdown was the fact that I did all this yoga and restarted my self-practice and got straight back into Ashtanga big time in a way that I've never, ever thought was possible. But I think it was the certainty of going to a set routine every single day that I needed, which is what Ashtanga is, the primary series, those poses, those vinyasas, those definitive, known, linear, structured movements. Instead of getting onto my mat and not knowing where to begin or what, I, what, what, you know, what I was going to do that day, just to jump on and know precisely where to start, how to begin and what to do was everything to me to actually just have a plan it was like the one thing where I knew what was coming next and that saved me in a way that I never really dreamed possible Um, it just totally bonkers how that was the one thing that I really felt was structure and definition and and the known and it's amazing I think during this period of just not knowing what having one thing that you do know what's coming next feels like. So that's kind of what happened. And I got really, really, really into my practice. Um, and the side effect from that and growing, re-engaging such a strong, strong, strong core. Um, there was one day in Brighton, I was running, I was walking down the seafront and I just saw all these people running. And I just thought, the jealousy of not having had like what I felt was like a proper workout for two months or two and a half months by that point and not having those endorphins and not getting sweaty and not having that feeling of exertion was too much and I thought right that's it tomorrow I didn't even have any running trainers I had these like Tesco I don't know 4.99 trainers with like about as much support as a piece of paper under my foot I thought that's it it's tomorrow tomorrow's the day I haven't run for seven years after a massive car crash and then boom I got up the next day and off I went most horrendous experience of my life hideously painful disgustingly hard and horribly challenging and brought up every little ounce of my soul that said no screamed no sweated no Um, I couldn't breathe I felt ill but you know I think the best thing about running is that it's purely a mind over matter scenario. It's your head telling you no, 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 no. And possibly your body as well. Um, And I definitely experienced a hell of a lot of pain in the aftermath of those first three or four or five runs. My neck was screaming, my shoulders were dying. um, And I didn't ever want to run ever again. But I have carried doing it, carried on. And it's been one of the best things that's ever happened to me because... The amount of times over the last seven or eight years since that car crash here where I've wanted to run again have been endless. And to finally get strong enough to get my body to a place where, yeah, I still experience pain from running, but I do it because it makes me feel really good, makes me feel powerful and makes me feel like I've achieved something. Um And now I'm really, really, really running a lot and really actually kind of enjoying it because the feeling I have afterwards, the runner's high, I think they call it, just, yeah, it's just amazing. And really, particularly when you've sweated absolute buckets in this July heat, just gives you a little extra something that maybe you didn't know was missing until it re-arrives. Just walked into the little, not inside the church, but there's a little area by the entrance to it which um, is just absolutely gorgeous the arches, the big big whitewashed arches and the stunning wooden beams at the top is just so Ibethan and feels deeply authentic and I just feel very held here at the moment I've come up here a few times lately as I said and um, yeah it just makes me feel like I'm home just to feel this very sturdy, steady, stable, unmoving beast beneath my bottom as I sit down on those concrete steps here and the cicadas start up again. So thank you for listening. We're going to end this podcast with 
Um, I think it's coming up to 10 a.m. in the morning and the bell is going to chime shortly. Um, and that is how I kind of want to end. And this is going to sound very strange, but before we get to that point, I think I'd just like to have a little minute of silence um, in this church with you um, just to kind of appreciate really I think how far we've all come and the journey we've all been on together and you know people saying oh we're all in it together and we are we've all had very very different experiences but um, I'm actually very thankful for everything that unfolded and to be back here on my favourite island in the world just feels incredible so next episode landing next week with you and i'm going to try and get back to doing this weekly um, but i would love to hear from you on just the good news please at gmail.com and we'll see you next week Reset Rebel